Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. We're keeping it real, goes right. Welcome back to Real Take Sports Talk live here on YouTube. Welcome to everyone listening as well on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this today. If you are listening to this on your audio podcasting platform, be sure to do us a favor and hit that follow button, leave a five-star review, and if you're listening to this or watching this, I should say, on YouTube, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell. We got so much to talk about today. Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington Commanders, could be on his way out. NFL owners are already talking about him potentially being voted out of the NFL ownership group, which would be a big deal. I believe first time that's happened ever. We also have to talk about the NBA Conference Finals, which got really wiry and heated last night between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. We also have a game today between the Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors that we're going to discuss. On top of all of that, we got Happy Trails, Snowflake of the Week, and so much more in between. So be sure, everyone, to sit back, relax, and enjoy all the real takes. If you're watching along on YouTube Live, be sure to Hit up the chat, put your questions in there, we'll try to get to them. And if you can, as always, leave a super chat. Before we get into anything uh, big time, though, I do want to plug a few things, a few more things, because I'm the captain of plugs. Um, be sure, if you're a wrestling fan, to go over and subscribe to youtube.com forward slash real take wrestling for all your wrestling related needs. We're also going to be doing some special coverage of NFL training camp coming up and so much more in between. I can't talk about a lot of it, but I do want to plug those few things just to get those started. Anyway, plugs out of the way, all that nonsense out of the way. Let's get to sports, everyone. Specifically, let's start off by talking about the NBA. I know a lot of people have been enjoying these NBA conference finals. I know I have, especially these NBA playoffs in general. This has been one of the more entertaining NBA playoffs we've had in a very long time. The ratings overall for the NBA playoffs have improved dramatically from just the past few years. And I think a lot of that can be really due to the fact that we finally have some parity. We finally have some parity as far as who's going to the finals. It's not LeBron every year. Not saying LeBron didn't earn his trips to the finals, but we have parity in the league where we were told for the longest times you can't win without a super team. You can't win without a super team. It can't be done, and you can't get to that level of competing for a title without having at least two or three superstars, uh, two or three, sorry, all pro NBA players on your team. And really, we've seen this year, that trend has been bucked. Look at the teams that we have outside of the Warriors. You have the Dallas Mavericks, who their only offense is Luka Doncic. Uh, and then on the on the eastern side, you have some really quality players on the Celtics in Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Defensive Player of the Year in Marcus Smart. But we really don't think of those guys. The perception isn't really with those guys that they are these all-NBA caliber players, even though you could argue that they are. But they're not like the big-time superstars. This is not like the big three getting together in Miami. And speaking of Miami... You have Jimmy Butler down there in Miami and some really, really good pieces down there in uh, Kyle Lowry and 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 you have Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, of course, and all those guys. And by the way, B.J. Tucker has been, I think, one of the most underrated offseason pickups of the entire NBA. But all that to say, outside of the Warriors, you don't have that real super team. And even the Warriors super team, that's not one of those like methodical put together super teams that was that was uh you know put together by players. It was really put together by the Golden State Warriors themselves. That is a 
homemade winner in Golden State. So nice to see those trends those trends bucked, I should say. Um, as far as the conference finals goes, I've enjoyed them. One thing that I think we can all agree on is that the teams that are in there are battle-tested at this point. And we want to see... We, I don't think any real NBA fan will be mad if... I, if one of these four teams won. Like, like you can't be mad. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all on the same level. We'll get to who's better and, and who's likely in the best position to win an NBA championship and go to the NBA Finals in just a little bit. But I want to talk about each of these series individually first. First, let's focus on the Eastern Conference Finals. We are three games in. Right now, the... Uh, Miami Heat are up two games to one. We saw Bam Adebayo really come to life in game three. He went off. He did everything that they needed him to do. And a lot of times in game three, it was Bam Adebayo who was really running the point. He was taking the ball out. He was handling a lot of the the passing. By halftime, he had six assists, which for a center, I don't think I've seen a ball ball handling like that from a center in a long time, in such a in such a big time situation, especially in the Eastern Conference Finals, so big out big ups to Bam Adebayo. But the one concern, obviously, that we have for the Miami Heat is Jimmy Butler, and I think we saw what happened when Jimmy Butler left the game. Even though Miami, who was already up by twenty five at one point in that game, multiple times in that game, I should say, they were up multiple times in that game. We saw in the fourth quarter that lead fell apart. And I believe part of the reason was they didn't have Jimmy Butler on the court. Now, they were able to sustain it. They were able to to not let the the Boston Celtics come all the way back. But that does not mean that they are safe from losing this series. I don't think in the slightest. Because the Boston Celtics in the TD Garden, it was a, it was a insane environment. And even though they were able to pick up the win, I think there's still problems with the Miami Heat team, especially if Jimmy Butler's not available for Game 4. Especially. You're in the Garden. The, the, the tensions were flaring throughout that game. There was a lot of emotion in that basketball game. So you put, you put that with the fact that Jimmy Butler might not be playing. We know that Marcus Smart went out and, and left Game 3 with an injury, but he was able to return. We saw Jason Tatum leave with an injury, and he was able to return. And look... The TD Garden was thunderous for that entire game, even though they were down by 25 points. Expect the fans to come back ready to go, energized, and ready to see their team kick some butt at the at the TD Garden in Boston. I don't think the series is over, not by a long shot. The key to winning for the Miami Heat, number one, you got to have Jimmy Butler on the court. I think what they're doing with Bam Adebayo is great. The matchup between him right now and Al Horford, Bam Adebayo is winning that matchup. Point, plain and simple. Bam Adebayo is winning that matchup. I think the, what the Miami Heat need to focus on is, especially from the people they have coming off the bench, they need to focus on taking good shots and not forcing the issue. There were a lot of times last night I saw them forcing the issue. There were a lot of times where I saw Tyler Hero just put up some shots that weren't really good looks, and it didn't really turn out well. For the Boston Celtics on the flip side, the biggest thing I can say about the Boston Celtics, don't turn the ball over. They are shooting themselves in the foot by with all the turnovers they're committing, especially the ones in game 3. I know I'm focusing a lot on game 3, but that was such a it was such an encapsulation of this entire series, I think, so far. In game 3, the Boston Celtics turned the ball over 22 times. 
They were still able to get it in the fourth quarter within one point. And I think had they had even half of those turnovers, had they had like 11 or 12 turnovers, they would have won that game. They would have won that game. A lot of the Heat's points came from turnovers from Boston. And it just seemed like whoever was handling the ball, whether it was Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart had a few of them, man. Marcus Smart had a few turnovers. There, there, there was like there was a stint in the fourth quarter where I noticed like at least four or five times Marcus Smart was trying to pass the ball, and it either got a kick ball, it either got a turnover, or it, it was it was went out of bounds. It, it was not pretty. It was not pretty. Uh, the passing was not pretty. Al Horford had a few of those as well, but really all around the Boston Celtics need to focus on just being aware of where their teammates are and understanding what's a good situation to pass and what's not. Uh, the turnover's got to stop there for Boston if they want to stick around and win this series. That being said, we are really seeing... I, I, I love this series so much because we are seeing the... A, almost a, a... Not a changing of the guard, but you're seeing this battle of of this, this great Miami Heat team that went to the NBA Finals just two years ago that had the most wins in the Eastern Conference this year. That has a guy like Jimmy Butler uh, is made up of a team of guys like Jimmy Butler, like PJ Tucker, like Kyle Lowry, like uh, Duncan Robinson. A lot of guys who have worked their butt off for everything, uh, for everything they've gotten in the NBA, and to get to this point against a team of guys like. And I'm not saying that the Boston Celtics didn't earn their way, and 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 the players didn't earn their way. What I'm saying is you're seeing the, the a lot of these like older – like I don't know. It's like for me, I'm seeing this as a matchup between mo- not veterans and not older players, but but you're seeing experience versus the inexperience and, and the, the youthful exuberance. There we go. That's the right word I wanted of the Boston Celtics. They're just there's, – there's such a young team. I know they've been to the uh, – the, the, in the playoffs the past few years, but – they're such a young team, and to get this far and, and to do what they're doing, I think they it's for them, it's a statement year. For the Boston Celtics, the Boston Celtics want to go out there and go to the NBA Finals this year because they wanted to prove that, hey, our time isn't just coming. Our time isn't just on the horizon, on some John Cena stuff. Your time is up. My time is now. That's what Jason Tatum's trying to say to Jimmy Butler in this series. And whether or not they're going to do it depends solely on them. If they can stop the turnovers, if they can... Take Bam out of bio out of it. I think they win. I think it is as simple as that. And if Jimmy Butler's not there, the formula becomes even simpler. But we'll see what happens with that. That being said, I still am picking the Miami Heat to win this series. Jason Tatum probably going to prove me wrong. Like he's proven everyone wrong. And that's great because I love Jason Tatum and he's a great player. Now, on the flip side, we ha- in the Eastern, in the Western Conference Finals, you have, uh, of course, the Dallas Mavericks taking on the Golden State Warriors. Which, you know, I, I it, it's I don't want to say it's a similar matchup at all because it, it is not. The matchup between the Golden State Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks is it, it's th- this matchup is of Luka Doncic versus the entire. Golden State Warriors team. That's what this is. That's not saying that Brunson doesn't come up big sometimes. That's not saying that Spencer Dimwitty can't come up big. But more often than not, the Dallas Mavericks, they go as Luka goes. And they'll go as far as Luka can carry them. And we are seeing, and just like we saw in Game 2, Luka Doncic is 
doing it all by himself. Again, that is not, I'm not trying to disparage Brunson, who's going to get paid this offseason, deservedly so. He's proven that he's a really good player. But he's not what the Dallas Mavericks need right now in this moment. The Dallas Mavericks, what they really need is someone who can take that secondary scoring load off of Luka and who can help take over games when Luka's not on the court. So it's not all on him. Because when you try to put it all on one player, especially in this league, especially in that conference, it's going to be difficult to make the finals. And we're seeing this now. The Golden State Warriors are the most stacked team in basketball, period. They have scores. There are mercenaries on that team. Jordan Poole. Like, this is the bench. Jordan Poole coming off the bench. On top of having Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and his defensive prowess. And then you just have more players who can who can burn you. I mean, the Golden State Warriors it, it are really, like, we're going to look back at this team and be like, this is one of the best put-together teams naturally we've ever seen. And I mean naturally is they really haven't had too many people come in as big-time free agent signings, have they? No. Outside of Kevin Durant, obviously. Don't even count the Kevin Durant uh, years. This team still went to the NBA Finals back-to-back years in 2015-2016. This team is on their way to going back to the Finals this year. Like, Like, let me be clear. As much as I love Luka Doncic, as much as I believe that Luka Doncic is going to be, if he is not already the best player in professional basketball, the Golden State Warriors are winning this series. They have too many bodies. They have too many great players. It's not going to be enough. Does that mean that there's zero chance for the Dallas Mavericks? No, you always have a chance. You know, it's that old, it's that old adage from uh, from Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. It's not a big chance, but the chance is there. Luka Doncic would have to do something so great, basically, that it would be undeniable to crown him as the king of the NBA. That's how great he'd have to play. He would have to, it wouldn't even just be the Warriors having to to implode. Like that would help. But Luka would have to just completely take over to a level we haven't even seen yet, honestly. Like, that's how great he'd have to play. It's unimaginable because we've seen Luka game after game after game take over. But it would have to be even more than we've seen. They're just too good, people. The, the, the Warriors are just too good. That's why I'm saying, like, the Mavs, eventually they're going to draw a bad matchup because they just don't have that secondary scoring. Now, again, if the Warriors come out and they just do bricks for three quarters or three and a half quarters, even then you can't count them out because look what happened in game th- uh, in game two. Luka and the Mavs were up for most of that game. Everyone thought the game was over, and what happened? They pulled it out because that's what the Warriors do. That's what they're good at. The Golden State Warriors are a beast, an absolute beast of a franchise. So... That's where we're at. Let me know what you guys think, though. Hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell. YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Sports. Moving on, we have some interesting news out of the National Football League. And for those of you who have not been keeping up with this, uh, uh, like who have not at least been keeping up with this channel, what we've been talking about here, Dan Snyder is the worst owner in 
professional sports. In American professional sports, at least. And that's not uh, a that that's not me trying to be demeaning. That is just the truth. Objectively, I think he is the worst owner in professional sports. Now, because of that, no, sorry, sorry. And the reason I think that is because Dan Snyder has just been followed by scandal after scandal after scandal. Think about it. And that's why the NFL owners are trying to vote him out. And we'll talk about it just now. Anyway, so like I said, Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington Commanders, could be on his way out of the NFL after multiple anonymous GMs have come out in this USA Today report saying that there's growing frustration and they are counting the votes, to quote them, to vote him out of the league. Now, some backstory behind this. Dan Snyder, of course, he is no stranger to scandal. There was the long-standing scandal of the team name that was racist that Dan Snyder defended for over almost two decades until they finally were forced to change it. And then on top of that, you have the allegations of sexual assault against many in the top brass of the Washington football team. On top of that, you have this new development that Dan Snyder may have been hiding funds, hiding money, hiding revenue from both the tax man, the IRS, and the NFL alike. That is not something that I think he could have survived. Like, here's the thing. We live in a we live in a weird world. We live, you could say, in a terrible world where the thing that would get you in the most trouble is not having a racist name for your franchise and and deciding not to change it after being pushed by many people in that group who feel marginalized and who feel offended. No, that's not what's going to get you kicked out of the NFL. And it's not even going to be allegations from former cheerleaders that they were essentially being touted out. I don't even know how to say that without in an appropriate way. The, the, the allegations by those w- women who, were, uh, who felt like they were uh, put into positions that they didn't deserve to be with very powerful people. That's not going to get you kicked out of the NFL. What's going to get you kicked out of the NFL is hiding money. Because at the end of the day, it's a business. For better or worse, and I think it's worse, people, it is a business. And look, for for anyone who wants to say this shouldn't be what Dan Snyder gets kicked out for, you're absolutely right. But one thing we can all agree on is that Dan Snyder deserves to be kicked out of the National Football League. He has brought nothing, him and his regime have brought nothing but shame, absolute shame to the NFL. And that is, and look, it, it's a, there's a lot of shame to go around with these owners, but Dan Snyder really takes the cake. You don't believe me? Look at what his peers are saying. An anonymous owner in the USA Today report said, quote, there's growing frustration about Washington, the Washington situation and not over, and not over one issue but over how much smoke there is, they went on to say, I think everybody's tired of it. Another NFL owner, anonymously in the USA Today report, says, if the financial impro- if the financial stuff happened, I think that that's the nail in the coffin. We're counting votes. They are counting votes to boot Dan Snyder out of the league. These are owners in a legitimate sports report. By the way, in case you're wondering, removing Snyder as NFL owner would require 24 votes among NFL owners. 
That's about three-fourths for those of you who are wondering. It's possible. It's very possible. Because you're already getting the sentiment from the public that they're sick of him. You're getting sentiment from the commissioner that they're sick of him. You're getting uh, sentiment from the media that's sick of him. And now you're getting sentiment from the owners that are sick of him. Dan Snyder deserves to be kicked out of the NFL. He deserves to be banished for what he's done. And, and, and I'm not saying—here, here's the thing. I'm not saying, Dan Snyder, that, that you know— You've done anything that hasn't been reported on, that hasn't been already alleged. These are all public. This is all public stuff, Dan Snyder. So don't shoot me with a cease and desist. It's just the truth. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And one thing that we cannot deny is that all of these scandals have brought a bat, have brought the NFL into a worse light than it was already in. Somehow they were able to accomplish that. Somehow this regime was able to accomplish that. And for anyone out there who wants to defend Dan Snyder, who wants to say that, that, who wants to be a snowflake and say that, well, he gave up power. Guess what? He's still the owner of the team. Dan Snyder does not deserve, in my opinion, to own an NFL franchise. He has proven that he is nothing but incompetent in that position. It's over. It's over. We all need to accept it. It hasn't worked. Should Dan Snyder be worried? Absolutely. Should the owners vote to do this? Absolutely. Should you guys hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell? Absolutely. Like I look again, I, I know people are gonna say that, well, I have a I have some sort of vendetta against Dan Snyder. I don't have a vendetta against Dan Snyder for anything personal. I'm not a Washington fan. I may have lived in DC. I'm not a Washington fan. But what I cannot stand and what I will not condone is the amount of the, the, the amount of just just incompetence and carelessness for people's feelings, for people's lives. That, that this regime in Washington for the past 20-plus years has shown. Like, it, it, it's just terrible. And the Washington football team, God bless you, I hope they get an owner who, who isn't just a complete terrible person, in my opinion, Dan Snyder, in my opinion. Because they went from, they, they went from, who was it? It was George Prescott. George, they went from George Prescott, who, who was the original owner. By the way, in case anyone's wondering out there why I think that the name, the, the name of the former name of this team was racist, is racist, is because look at the guy who named the team. George Marshall Prescott, I believe was his name. He was a guy who refused to segregate, or sorry, refused to, to integrate, I should say, black players into the NFL until 1969. This was a man who was known for his racist comments about Native Americans, about black people, about just about any race that he wasn't white. And we're here to, and we're supposed to sit here and think that there is some some, some great heritage, some tradition behind this name. No. It was messed up then. 
and it's messed up now. And Snyder stood by, defended it, defended it. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly paid groups to come out and defend it. On top of that, just some just some light allegations against him and, and his regime for, for sexual misconduct. And I say light jokingly, of course. It's not light. But, of course, Dan Snyder would want you to think so because they want to be like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with us. It's just individuals. It's not a system. It's always a system, people. It's always a system. Abs- like, like, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. NFL owners, you know what to do. If, if you have any, look, and I don't expect much from the NFL owners, but if you even have the semblance, a, any semblance of a conscience, you would boot him out tomorrow. And that's just what I think. Say what y'all want. That's what I think. Let me know what you guys think, though, in the comment section. Hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Cincy Edits is in the chat. What's up, Cincy? Good to see you. Uh, You are late. Anyway, let's move on, everyone, and talk about some interesting developments from our friends over at ESPN. I say friends very jokingly because I doubt I have many friends at at ESPN. Anyway, J.J. Redick was... Caused a bit of a stir online for some comments he made. Um, and they had to do with NFL, or sorry, NBA Hall of Famer, Bob Cousy, former Boston Celtic great. And look, let's just say Bob Cousy, he came back, he clapped back, and he might have a point. Anyway, let's get to it, though. Back on the April 20th episode of ESPN First Take, J.J. Redick was involved in a viral argument with Mad Dog Russo, over Chris Paul's standing as an all-time level point guard. Mad Dog, of course, compared, uh, uh, compared, uh, sorry, said that, Mad Dog basically said that uh, six-time world champion Bob Cousy was a better point guard than CP3, which caused J.J. Redick to just go off. Redick would fire back saying that Bob Cousy was, quote, being guarded by plumbers and firemen, Basically belittling Bob Cousy's era of athleticism or lack thereof, I should say. And after that, almost a month after that, I should say, Bob Cousy has officially responded with the following, quote, People with less talent will always try to make a name for themselves by criticizing other people and hopefully getting some attention and perhaps increasing their credibility. Cousy would go on to say, So when you respond to something like this, you play right into their hands. I won't do that, but I will defend the firemen and plumbers that he referenced. And I'll give you just a few of these names of these firemen that I played with and against over the years. How about Bill Russell, the aforementioned not-too-bad player? Wilt Chamberlain, remember that guy? He wasn't bad. I guess he must have fought fires as well, but in any event... Wilt Chamberlain, Cousy would also say, "Man, these must be like like they we must have had hell of, some hell of a fireman back in the day." And look, here's the thing about these comments: I think there is a gray area of of where we can stand, right? What were Bob Cousy was Bob Cousy justified in these comments? Absolutely, I really do think so because I actually disagree with JJ Reddick's comments initially 
specifically about the era that they played in, right? Now, if you want to say that the athleticism was nowhere near the level of athleticism we have today, you're absolutely right. In that respect, J.J. Redick is spot on because the athleticism overall was not as good. You could argue that talent overall was not as good. But to compare them as playing against plumbers and firemen, that is cap. And even J.J. Redick goes that, knows that. That's hyperbole to the highest degree. I understand why he said it. He was trying to make that hyperbolic point. He was trying to very emphatically push back against what Mad Dog Russo was saying, which, by the way, Mad Dog Russo was saying some snowflake stuff on that show. Like, what he said about Draymond Green on that same show, absolutely stupid. Like, like, come on. Yeah, he, J.J. Rick was right on that, on that part, too. It was some BS you would hear from Fox News. Anyway, but, but, that's, but that doesn't take away from Bob Cousy's point here of there were absolutely athletic players back in the day, and there were some all-time greats back in the day. By the way, Bob Cousy was one of those all-time greats. There's a reason he's in the Naismith Hall of Fame. There's a reason he's in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. There's a reason that Bob Cousy has six world championships. Yeah, are they in part to Bill Russell? Sure, but he also played an integral part on those teams. And I do think that J.J. Redick was dismissive of that. I really do think that J.J. Redick probably should have picked better words. Because when you say something like that about an all-time great, and I'm not saying he's better or worse than, like, LeBron or whatever. No, there's no comparison. Like, like is he top 75 all-time? He made the list, so I guess he is. Sure. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you get to disrespect every single person from that era just blanketly. I think that that takes away from what they contributed to the game, and I think that's what that takes away from, from what players are doing now, honestly. Because you belittle the history of the sport. And I don't like that. I personally don't like that. And I don't agree with the fact that everyone was, he was being guarded by plumbers and firemen. It's not true. He was being guarded by basketball players. By the, by, he was being guarded by what basketball players were back then. Now, if you go back to the NFL in the late, in the 1950s, yeah, plumbers and firemen. But basketball was different. Basketball was completely different. And I would really think that J.J. Redick would know the difference. I really hope he would. And I, and I hope he doesn't actually believe that about all the players back then. I really don't. Because come on, J.J. Redick. Fat Al. Thank you, Cincy. Fat Al. I agree. Y'all let me know what you guys think about J.J. Redick's comments. Were, was he on? Was he right? Was he wrong? Does Bob Cousy have a reason to be upset? Let me know in the comments section below. Hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Again, I mean, like I I know that I know I know that I know the reason why JJ Reddick said it like that. Because again, Mad Dog was making some really shitty points on that show. And for and he needed to push back and he needed to push back hard so everyone knew he was wrong. That's fine. You can do that, though, without belittling someone like Bob Cousy, who, again, not, like, top 10 all-time. Uh, like, like he's, Chris Paul, by the way, is a better point guard than Bob Cousy. More talented, for sure, skills-wise. That does not mean, though, that Bob Cousy and, and, and his age were not playing the game of basketball because they clearly were. Anyway, let's switch gears, guys, and talk about 
Something that used to be near and dear to my heart. However, after some news that broke this week about this, I am becoming more and more skeptical about uh, this. And that is the XFL, ladies and gentlemen. So for those of you who don't know, the XFL is set to kick off in February 2023. There will be 40 games in total during the regular season, followed by two postseason games and an XFL championship. Games will now premiere on ESPN, ABC, and FX. This is in part of a five-year agreement that was recently signed that will give ESPN and Disney the rights to stream the XFL from 2023 through the year 2027. So we were wondering who it might be, who might the XFL be able to partner with to bring spring football back or bring their version, I should say, of spring football back. And now we know it's Disney, it's ESPN, and FX as well is where games are going to be on. So... This is a massive deal, by the way. Anyone wondering, this is an absolutely massive deal, not just for the XFL, but for professional football in general, because we're, we're getting football, guys, for around the clock now. Like, it's happening, because now you're going to have the NFL, obviously, from September through February, then right after the Super Bowl ends from February to, I would say, probably around, like, May-ish. Yeah, probably around, like, May-ish. I think they have, like, 10 games, or, 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 or 10 weeks, right? So, right around May-ish, you're going to have the XFL, and then from right around the beginning of April to right in the training camp, right in the June, you're going to have the USFL as well. So there's going to be football, plenty of football going around. But the X, for the XFL to get this deal with Disney, you might see games on Disney+. Plus. You might see games on e- – you're going to see games on ESPN, which a lot of people are used to watching football on ESPN. That's going to be really good for them. I think it's a massive deal on top of the fact that the XFL already has a partnership and agreement with the NFL. Like the XFL win-win, it's a win-win here. Like people are going to go to Disney Plus or ESPN for the content and they're going to watch it and the XFL is going to make some money. So win-win there on that side of it. Uh, However, I'm not just here to talk about how great the XFL is. I'm also here to tell you exactly why I think the XFL is going to suck. I am someone who has been very, very vocal about my support, about my my desire to see the XFL and all spring football succeed. I was excited about the XFL, but then there were a few road bumps along the way. One of the biggest ones was the changing of the logo, which I get. Here's the thing. I wasn't too mad about the changing of the logo. I was more mad about what it might represent, which is a changing of what we liked about the previous uh, iteration of the XFL. Not talking about the 2001 iteration, I'm talking about the 2020 iteration. What made the 2020 XFL so great was the presentation, was the fact that they they were able to connect to those local areas in ways that other spring leagues hadn't. And I think the logo was the beginning of it, and what and some of the stuff that we've seen happen over the past few days really hammer out that I think that this version of the league is going to be not as well received by a lot of previous XFL fans, including myself and other fans as well, because I think they're going to try to change too much and they're going to drive some people away. Why do I think that? It was reported that the DC Defenders, one of the most popular teams, you might remember the Cup Snake game, which I was present for in DC. DC Defenders, if they get a new team, Again, if they get a, a team in the in the XFL, if DC does, they are not going to be called the DC Defenders anymore, which was a built-in brand name that everybody knew. 
No, 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 no. Instead, they're going to be called something else. This is according to, I believe, a former executive at the D.C. Defenders who who put this out on, on Instagram. So D.C. Defenders are going to get a name change. That's if they get a team at all, which I don't like. I think that the XFL in 2020, or the XFL now, had a responsibility to finish the vision of the XFL in 2020. You had fans. You had really good ratings. You had a product that people liked. You had teams that people were endeared to. And I think changing a lot of that is going to drive some of those people away. It's going to drive the money away. It's going to drive a lot of the people who want to spend money on your product away. That's not a good thing. Especially when you're when you're a league. Look, the XFL is going to have fine ratings. I'm not worried about that. We know that the USFL, as bad as the football has been, and it has been some crappy football in the USFL, as bad as the football is, people are still going to tune in, and it's going to be enough people where the advertisers, where the investors are going to be like, okay, cool. That's fine. Because it's better than whatever they would have had in that time slot. But in, but that's not what your objective should be if you're the XFL, if you're the USFL. Your objective should be to create a fan base that loves the product, that loves the brand, that loves these teams. And I don't see that. I really don't. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But a lot of stuff that the XFL is doing right now really, really makes me feel like this whole iteration, the 2023 XFL, is going to suck. I don't want it to. I'm praying I'm wrong, but I really do think that I'm right. Again, go back to the XFL in 2020. It was doing great. People loved it. But, man, it's going to be crazy. Since he says, did you say 40 games or 14? 40 games in total, I should say. Sorry about that. 40 games in total. So, let, let me be clear. 40 games in total. Had to get a drink of water. Stay hydrated, my friends. Uh, guys, let's keep it going. I think we have... What, what do we have on the docket left? We, oh, wow. We have my favorite new segment, everyone. Because, look. By the way, everyone. It's all jokes here, mostly. Except when I get serious. You guys can pretty much tell when I get serious and when I don't. But a lot of what we do here is jokes. One thing, though, that, that, that I, uh, over the past year, have been hoping to do, I've been trying to get really uh, hammered down, is our segments on this show, like like recurring segments on this show. And I'm glad to have our first ever recurring segment on this show because it's time for my favorite new segment. Excuse me. Excuse me again. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Snowflake of the Week. This week's snowflake goes to Alabama head coach Nick Saban, who, in case you missed it, was embroiled in a bitter, bitter feud with Jimbo Fisher of Texas A&M, as well as Deion Sanders, for some comments that Nick Saban made over paying players and, and teams, sorry, colleges, paying players to j- agree to join them in their professional football program. Nick Saban would say that you have teams like A&M who bought their entire team. You have Deion Sanders who basically bought his entire team over there uh, at um, where he's coaching. And I got to say, the snowflakery, 
This is Aaron Rodgers levels of snowflake right here with Nick Saban in these comments he's made. Nick Saban, the, here's the thing. Jimbo Fisher was right about one thing when, he's, when he talked about Nick Saban. The narcissism of Nick Saban. The unmitigated narcissism of this guy to believe that there's no way that, uh, that teams could genuinely recruit, right? There's no way that teams could genuinely out-recruit him. He like his brain doesn't work like that, and and here's the thing: I'm not as mad about the whole Jimbo Fisher Texas A&M thing because you could argue like here's the thing: the it's the SEC. They have been paying players to join their teams for decades. It happened before Nick Saban was there. It's gonna happen long after Nick Saban is gone, especially with the new NIL rules. But to say that Deion Sanders. To put Deion Sanders in all this and what Deion Sanders is is doing over there in, in all this is absolutely stupid. Players aren't playing for Deion because they're getting paid. They're playing for Deion because he's Deion Sanders and they want to play with the greatest cornerback of all time. That's why you have all the best cornerback recruits going over to play for Deion Sanders. It has nothing to do with getting paid. Deion even came out and said, if you saw how much I was making, you'd laugh. Because he's not really making that much to coach. Deion Sanders is coaching because he wants to do it, not because he has to do it, not because he wants to pay players to do it. Nick Saban, Snowflake, chill out, my dude. Chill out. It's not that big a deal. You lost some recruits. You're Alabama. You're the best coach in college football. You're telling me you can't uh, you can't coach them up to be good? Come on now. Like that's the thing, man. That's the thing. Like like to see the, the audacity, the narcissism of, of this snowflake to to think that. Absolutely stupid. And, and there you go, snowflake of the week. In case ever anyone's wondering. The reason I have this is just to highlight overall snowflakery, stupidness, goofiness in the world of professional sports. And in case you're wondering, the namesake, who, did you guys know who I uh, originally named the uh, Snowflake of the Week after? Long-time listeners will know. Long-time listeners will know because I called it then. I'm still calling it now, but go back and watch it in case you didn't. Or go back in the archives and check it out. Do your own research. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. No. Um, <laughs> moving on. My jokes are getting worse. Moving on. Our last official segment of this week, guys. Again, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. We're saying happy trails to, in my opinion, the best punter of all time. Happy trails to Sam Cook who's retiring after 16 seasons in the NFL, former pro bowler, one of the best punters in the history of this game, revolutionized the game, did Sam Cook with his patented Cook punts. Those knuckleball punts were a nightmare for, for uh, returners to catch, for teams to keep track of. He changed the game. Now you guys, now you got now you have people in college literally calling them cook punts. You have people, you have punters coming up, people like Johnny Hecker, who changed their entire punting styles based off of what Sam Cook was doing. And that is a testament to the legacy of Sam Cook. That is a testament to what Sam Cook has done for to quote Pat McAfee, for the brand. It's a testament to what he's done, what he's made out of professional punting. Like no one really cares about punters, but if you go on uh, on NFL's YouTube channel, the NFL's YouTube channel, 
there's like a video of Sam Cook. There's an eight minute video of Sam Cook punting the ball and explaining these cook punts that I think everyone should go out and watch. It's one of the most viewed, one of my favorite videos to go back and watch because he's talking about like the different styles of punting, the knuckleball, the S-shaped punts, all these different things. And he breaks it down in a way that actually makes one of the most uninteresting things for most people like lively, entertaining, and and makes you really enthusiastic about it and want to, and want to like notice it. So go back and watch those videos. But 16 years of service to the Baltimore Ravens. This guy is – he means so much. Like it's going to be hard as a Ravens fan to really – see the field without Sam Cook on it. In my opinion, no one else should wear number four in the history of the Baltimore Ravens. I know we don't retire jerseys, but no one's worn number 52 since Ray Lewis left. No one's worn number 20 since Ed Reed left. No one should wear number four ever again for the Baltimore Ravens because that's what Sam Cook has been. Consistency, doing his job, uplifting young players, Always doing those great holds for Justin Tucker. There's a reason why Justin Tucker's the greatest kicker in the NFL. It's not just because of him, although his talent has a lot to do with that, obviously. But Sam Cook holding those balls, never missed one. Never messed one up. He's, it's beyond punting. It's what he meant to the team. And look, for those Ravens fans who are wondering, it's okay. Because Sam Cook is joining the Ravens staff as a special teams assistant. So he's still going to be around, but... Not having him on the field is going to be weird. I'm not going to lie to you. Not having him on the field is going to be weird. But happy trails to Sam Cook. A career that was, honestly, in my opinion, worthy of being called the best punter of all time. And a retirement that is well-deserved. So happy trails, Sam Cook. We'll see you down the road. Anyway, guys, that's going to do it for the official show. That is it. Unless you guys have any last-minute questions. Since he edits in the chat, says... Nick Saban is just mad because people started doing what he did. I mean, there are, like, allegations that Alabama is, as well, like, bought players. So, I am I am not really thinking that anyone's beyond that. Like, it's, it's, it's the way that college football works. That's just the way that college football works. But we'll see what happens, guys. Uh... Since he edits in the chat says Bengals kicker or Bengals punter, I should say, Kevin Huber needs to retire. Uh, hey, Kevin Huber is is a great punter as well. He is also a great punter. He's been doing it since since what two thousand like eight, two thousand nine. He's been doing it for a while. Like he's good. He's consistent as well. Anyway, guys, that's gonna just about do it for us. Be sure to go to YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Sports. Hit that like button. Subscribe. Hit that notification bell. Also, if you're a wrestling fan, go over to YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Wrestling. www.realtakesports.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Take Sports. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Real Take Sports Talk. Until next time, everyone, be happy. Be healthy. Enjoy your weekend. And as always, keep it real.